Welcome to FEPS Talks, the podcast series at the Foundation for European Progressive Studies. Find out more about us on feps-europe.eu. Hello everybody, I'm Justin Ogreder and welcome at another edition of FEPS Talks. I'm very happy that we have with us uh, Paul Tang, I'm pleased and honored. Uh, Paul Tong, a member of the European Parliament, uh, focused a lot on tax issues the past five years uh, and now also a big interest in the digital transition. And actually, as it happens, we co-wrote an article uh, for the Progressive Yearbook for FEPS uh, last month, where we actually look a bit at what happened the past year in 2019. And we also look a bit ahead 2020. What do we expect to happen at the European level on digital policy? What do we want to see happen? Uh, and I think that's also uh, a good start for the discussion. Uh, so, Paul, could you perhaps briefly um, look a bit ahead for 2020 and where you think uh, you would like to focus your activities on the digital agenda? Well, let's, uh, let's start it by saying this is an extremely interesting uh, period, right? Uh, just recently, Mark Zuckerberg toured the Commission, had meeting with several commissioners, and making a plea for regulation, which was somewhat odd. We wanted to have regulation so that the, com- the trust in Facebook can be restored. But it shows at what time we are, what period we are. We're looking now at regulation that may be overdue, but we really need, not even for the digital transition, but also I would say as a digital counter-revolution, because we, it has grown out of hand, let's face it data of us are everywhere even though we didn't give consent and even though we know that the data have been collected that's on the one hand on the other hand we see an enormous concentration of data money and power in the hands of just a few tech giants mm-hmm. and Europe has learned uh, in the last periods uh, in, the, in the previous years that we can be a counterfeiting uh, power with the GDPR uh, as main example. Of course, there have been other attempts. We have seen that uh, Vestalia puts uh, fines on, on Google, but in fact, this has been incorporated in a business model. So it's not something that seems to change the behavior of these tech giants, let alone uh, the events that follow, but uh, we need fundamental changes. And this is what we are now contemplating, and you will see many strategies appear very soon uh, and these are strategies so this are not this is not legislation yet but is the thinking about legislation and how we can shape this uh, digital counter-revolution uh, I'm afraid uh, this will be a boring conversation because I fully agree yeah. um, you know the moment when even Mark Zuckerberg uh, says openly that you know he thinks he should be regulated that Facebook should be regulated uh, I think we are royally late in uh, in doing so. Yeah, and at the same time, it's it's interesting that he says so. It just points at least to uh, two two problems we we will face. First of all, regulation can be very much to the advantage of the very large companies. I should we think we should keep that in mind. Uh, and the second thing is that Mark Zuckerberg may have not through the social democratic family, but more through the right-wing politics, have an effect on, uh, on regulation. He has a, an, I think this was an attack by, uh, by, by Facebook. Uh, the, the defense of Facebook has been hopeless, so they're going to the attack. Uh, but also showing that he, wa- he thinks he can uh, help to shape the regulation. 
because he has this army of lobbyists uh, behind him uh, also. So that we have to keep that in mind. Yeah, I think it's going to be a fight now and then. Yeah, and yeah, I think we've seen it also with the GDPR. It took, it took years and years uh, to get that passed, uh, and it was a huge lobbying battle going on. And still now, I mean, the, there's big troubles when you look at enforcement. You know, it's kind of centralized uh, at the Luxembourgish uh, Data Protection Authority, the Irish, uh, and there's a huge backlog in the treatment of complaints, etc. So I think that's that's a big story. Like even when we we seem to be active on the ground. There's not that much changing. And it's, I think it's a little bit the same if you look at Vestag. I mean, of course, she has done a lot on competition law, but as you point out, you know, even the eight billions in fines that uh, that she racked up, you know, and that that she handed out to to Google over the past ten years, it didn't do a lot in terms of changed market uh, structure, market power. Uh, if anything, it increased. Uh, and I think we discussed it last time. It's if you if you're really cynical, you see what. What is happening is that uh, Google gets fined, but they are still in business. So in a way, they can still do business. So it's the cost of doing business, uh, and the commission takes that money, and they both continue. So I think that's not um, that's quite disconcerting. So I think we really should look at something else. Uh, what that is, is is very difficult. I mean, so you also mentioned that's something yeah. else. We have to look at something else. Keep uh, yeah. Listener, this is what is interesting. So, what is something else, uh, Justin? Well, you, you mentioned you mentioned GDPR. You mentioned consent. Yeah. Uh, which is, I mean, the GDPR is a lot of things. Uh, there's a lot of good stuff in there, but for me, the main principle is still individual consent. Yeah. That that's a fundamental uh, benchmark, let's say. And I think that is simply not enough. Like yeah. you can't expect individuals uh, to make good on their rights vis-a-vis uh, you know multi-billion uh, global uh, tech firms that have a huge information advantage, etc. So I think that's the first. So we need to look at collective models. Exactly. Um, that's easier said than actually implemented. Uh, and that actually we kind of uh, transition into a different topic, which is uh, the labor union that you talked about, the data labor union, yeah. which is in a way an effort to kind of, uh, you know, uh, make this more collective, so to yeah. to stand up with each other uh, against uh, those tech firms. Could you maybe explain a little bit about that? So, um, yeah, it's yeah. a collective institute, and on its own it will not be enough. You need also collective action in the form of regulation. In my mind, uh, you need a representative uh, for, each, for individuals. You can't determine on your own who you share data with. Mm-hmm. Um, you cannot on your own uh, bargain negotiate with companies let alone the big tech giants Mm -hmm. so you need a representative and there may be in the end more than one representative there may be more data unions coming up but you need a representative if the data are ours we need someone to represent us in negotiations it's a bit like the labor market Mm -hmm. where we have labor laws but we also have trade unions uh, that represent us in collective bargaining and that's how we are but it the underlying idea is, of course, that we are data workers and we need to discuss our working conditions with, uh, with the tech companies. And this is what the data union is for. Brilliant, right? It's, it sounds very appealing. And I think, uh, you know, there's a lot to support in the idea. I also think it's quite difficult, probably practically, you know? I mean, first, so for me, like the starting point is that data somehow is collective. Like very, the tendency is always to think, you know, it's my data, you know, I own my data. Yeah, and there's now a big debate about 
you know, should data be treated as individual property rights? Should people be able to trade it, et cetera, et cetera? But that's very difficult because, you know, the fact that I'm, I'm the son of my mother says something about me. It says also something about my mother. It's in the core data is always relational. It always says something about you vis-a-vis something else, vis-a-vis somebody else. It's, uh, you know, it's codified social relations in a way. Yeah. So like, how, how, would you, how would you be able to do that? So to say, okay, you know, I did X, Y, I provided X, Y, Z information on Facebook and then somehow I should get that money. I think... Well, there, there, are, two, yeah. there are two types of working conditions. One is the, yeah. the remuneration. Mm-hmm. Do I get paid for it? Uh, the other one is well, working conditions in a sense, what do, I, what do I get in return? Because now we have barter bargain, right? So mm-hmm. we, we, we give our data and we get free products back. Uh, but we don't have any say in what type of products uh, we get back. So I have just one timeline on, on Facebook. Mm-hmm. I can choose for two timelines on Twitter. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I want more options, for example. I cannot, as an individual, bargain with Facebook or Twitter. So tell me. Uh, um, and, and this is so it's work condition is not just about the remuneration, but also about uh, what do we get in return. Uh, so you need to bargain about that. Yeah. On remuneration, I'm, I, I think it would be good if uh, there would be, at the moment that data are tradable, and at, at, at this point they are. Mm-hmm. Uh, some people say you cannot trade it, but that's, I, I'm not so sure. We need to think when it sh- is traded and when it shouldn't be traded. Mm-hmm. Uh, but once we think data can be traded, uh, you can also think of the remuneration. And I'm, I think it would change the position of collective of individuals, you could say, but I appreciate mm-hmm. your point that it's not an individual matter. Mm-hmm. Uh, we change the position of the of the collective very, very much. It would empower and empower the data union and it would empower us uh, to have a say in what happens to our data. Yeah, I've, I, <laughs> I very much value those points. Um, but I think, for example, if you look at Facebook, I think it's probably easier, because you mentioned, you know, like we don't have any say in you know, the services we get in return for our data. And I think there's a simple way to kind of change that, and that is by kind of mandating interoperability for Facebook. So to say, uh, if I'm not happy with Facebook, I can just leave Facebook, I can take my data. Hey, you have that data, data portability. I mean, it's kind of difficult to implement, uh, but it exists in legislation. Uh, but more radically, what I want is interoperability. So that I can say the moment I don't like, uh, you know, how Facebook works and I don't like it, uh, I can just leave, but still talk to the people on Facebook because I have some international friends. I have no uh, other way to contact them. And we, we did that for email. We did that for telephone uh, services. You know, that's why we don't have one big telephone company in Europe, but different ones because, you know, we said, okay, if you, you know, you're subscribed with uh, Deutsche Telekom, you should still be able to call somebody that's with a different mobile provider with Vodafone. We can do that for Facebook. We can do that right now. It's very easy. Uh, and I think that would solve a lot of the power imbalance. But I think like the more fundamental point is maybe that when we talk about uh, data, is it really so valuable? Like, is personal data really so valuable? For example, maybe maybe Facebook should simply not be able to get all that data. I mean, they offer me like personalized uh, personalized news feed. I have no information what they send me based on what. I mean. Uh, in a way, you know, this is like kind of cliche, this has all been discussed, you know, that the fact that, you know, I see different news than what you see on your face, you know, on your newsfeed. Uh, same with YouTube uh, recommendations. And that means that you kind of you know, destroy the public sphere. Is that good? Like, are these, is, should all those firms be able to do that? Should Amazon uh, be able to collect all my data, sell it to others? Uh, and, and of course, I get something personalized in return, but but what are exactly the benefits? I'm not so sure. Yeah, sure. Uh, coming back on the interoperability, I think that's a 
good way to break market power, right? So that would, if you would have uh, competitors for Facebook, we would have probably better choice. Um, so I'm, um, though it, it would mean there are more data are shared right away. Now mm-hmm. you can always say Facebook keeps it. To, so that's the disadvantage. Even your data are more accessible for for more for more companies. Mm-hmm. So that's uh, that's what you're doing. The problem is that uh, people don't know which uh, what their product entails so you it's sometimes difficult to make a choice even if you but it's always interesting to have a social democrat uh, arguing for more competition that's that's an interesting point of course uh, <laughs> <I> just, like, <laughs> no but I, th- I think the, alter- the alternatives are very interesting yeah? no, no, it's, it's, yeah. it's, 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 a, it's a good point because i yeah. accept interoperability yeah um what 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 you're right. Should data be traded? That that that's a, that's a good question. Some data can be traded. Some maybe uh, not. So if they're very privacy related, don't don't uh, don't make them traded. I would say because privacy is uh, should be uh, an integral part of us and uh, should should not be up for up for sale. Then again, data have value, and this is uh, do we have seen all the value from data? Probably not. We are the start. I see huge potential for artificial intelligence. Mm-hmm. So. Data are productive, uh, and we need to, in a sense, to to bring data. We will get more and more data, but we will also need to make sure we get the right data that people start working on data, mm-hmm. because there is a productivity in there that that's still to be uh, still to be unleashed. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's a huge potential for innovation. Now, for example, what I'm what my concern is that in the current model we will see artificial intelligence in the private sector. Mm-hmm. What we also want is artificial intelligence in the public sector. Mm-hmm. On health, on education. Take education, for example. Children are using apps. That's a lot of data on learning of children. We can learn about learning. That's a huge potential there. Uh, and we can have early diagnosis of dyslexia, or we can find ways where they are really, uh, how they how they learn math, so to say. So you can, there's a, there's a huge potential. So I, I don't, yeah, I think it's very valuable. Mm-hmm. You can point at least the the, the, the the five largest company in the world are now tech, which shows that at least uh, at the stock markets they are valuable. But I think there's a huge social and, uh, and financial uh, potential still uh, to be uh, to be uncovered. So that's why I think data are very, are very valuable. But we need something else. And one of the problems we have right now is that, and monetization of data may help in that as well, that we now see an ad-based model. So we have micro-targeted, personalized ads. That mm-hmm. is the basic And that is the rotten model. What we have. So we have a business model which is completely rotten because they want your attention and they want to keep your attention. And they want to sell you everything. That's the whole, so we need also to break the, bus- the current business models. Let's, let's at least agree on that, on how to do that. Please think about it. But we need to break the business model as it is right now. So it's very good to have data are productive, but we need to find new business model so that the services we get, we just pay for. It's a fair exchange. We get new services. I fully agree. I fully agree. So I think that's the problem. And I think that it would solve a lot if for a lot of the personal data, we just simply uh, kill uh, this business model of ubiquitous ubiquitous surveillance, of behavioral tracking, and I think there would also, um, I mean, there's kind of easy ways to do that. And 
that would simply make it like a huge liability for, for companies such as Facebook and, and others to, to collect these huge data troves uh, because that's the main reason that they have. I mean, that's yeah. still the business model. I mean, Facebook, uh, of course, they they call themselves social media, but in fact, they're ad tech companies. They're, ad, they're just an advertisement business. Yeah. That's where they get about 90, 90% of the, of the revenues. Yeah. Uh, so I think that's that's one. I think you also mentioned the fact that um, we should really look at uh, using data in the public sector, you know, using, yeah. uh, let's say, automated decision-making in the public sector, uh, healthcare. I think that is really, uh, there's a lot of uh, potential there. But I think that is indeed, that's then you look at a different metaphor in a way of data, because then it's not at all about monetizing data. Uh, it's really about using uh, people's data uh, for the public good. Yeah, so sure. to early early detection of disease, etc., cetera, etc., cetera. and I think there, um, like the data as oil or like you know data as you know monetizable value is is not so is not not an apt metaphor. No, um, no, especially that's why I mentioned the public sector. Once it's and that this is uh, once it's commercial, you mm-hmm. may not. Yeah, well, it's the public sector. It may not develop. So you need public interference in that sense that we need to find ways to share data on public goods. Mm-hmm. health, education, uh, traffic, uh, to make sure that w- that our public services improve. That's that's one of the key uh, elements. And if we don't do that, we mm-hmm. see a very biased technical change just aimed at commercial, uh, commercial activities and or for the rich, because you will see developments in health, but then it's for only for those who can pay for it. So that's that's one of my underlying fears, that we, mm-hmm. if we don't change the, mo- the business model right now, we will end up very with biased technical change bias towards private sector and away from the public sector. Um, again, I feel I get repetitive, but uh, I, I really I really agree with those points. And I think there, there's a lot that we, we should do, but we're not doing at the moment. Yeah, so I, a lot of public sector, a lot of public authorities actually, uh, you know, when they do public contracting, uh, they rely on uh, one of the big tech firms. Uh, and in a way, they outsource uh, the management of public services. They don't know what kind of data uh, is being gathered. They don't uh, control that. Um, and that's actually shared widely. I mean, you had the scandals in the UK where they kind of used Amazon in the, you know, for certain health services and Amazon gets access to the data using it for uh, whatever purposes. So I think we should probably also look at public contracting and uh, install some clear rules on what should be allowed and uh, you know what types of data are shared, uh, you know, uh, in those types of contexts. Yeah. So what we need to do is find ways to break the current business model. I would just say, uh, for me, that's probably I'm a bit too radical on this. Just ban micro-targeted personalized ads. Why not? Mm-hmm. Uh, or uh, uh, at least throw sand in the machine. And this is what a digital service tax should do because that's a tax on ads. So that helps also to redirect. So block that uh, type of business model and then think that will well, other ways to uh, use data either in the public sector or for commercial use in the private sector. Yeah. Can, can I maybe lead yeah. into that question a little bit? Because, of course, you've been very active on tax. And I feel that a lot of the discussion now around, um, you know, we need to distribute uh, the value of data kind of comes from the fact that, you know, a few big companies amass huge amounts of wealth. Uh, and we kind of fail to tax them effectively. So we look at other ways to do that. And I have the feeling that you know, discussions around uh, you know, monetizing data come from that perspective. So should we just not uh, take the classic road and uh, you know, make sure these companies are taxed effectively and then use those resources uh, you know, for high quality public services, etc.? Is that not the classic way to go about it? 
And, and second, and here I'm really, I'm really quite interested because I'm, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not at all an expert on this. My idea was that we should simply, uh, you know, agree in Europe on what counts as corporate tax and how to allocate it, you know, among different member states. And that is the royal way. That's what we should do. And I feel that the digital services tax might be very difficult and might detract from that goal. Or like, how, how do you see that? Well, what we need anyway is a, is a fundamental change, uh, reform. Uh, in the corporate tax system because it's not just confined to big tech in all fairness. We see a lot of uh, tax avoidance by the largest companies just using uh, the current rules of the corporate tax system. Mm -hmm. It has to do that uh, most production by firms have is using intangible assets like property rights, financing structures, uh, digitalized services, where the location of is sometimes difficult to pinpoint. What firms then do, they can choose the location of their activities and they choose where they uh, where they pay taxes. Mm -hmm. well, we need to turn that around. The countries determine where they pay taxes, not the companies. So that's the fundamental change you need to have in the corporate tax system. Um, but I was saying the digital service tax may also be a regulating tax, a Picouvian tax. Mm -hmm. In that sense, the taxes adds, and that's exactly what you want in that in this type of business model. So you have a different argument still for a digital service tax. But I don't think it will be enough on its own because we want uh, the, the larger corporates to pay the fair share. And I think mm -hmm. that, that that's our fight. Uh, um, on the one hand, like you want to change the business model mm -hmm. because otherwise, recently an example, TikTok. Uh, there's a uh, European subsidiary in Berlin, I think. Um, so it's but it's mainly a Chinese uh, Chinese company. TikTok doesn't show in the timeline. Uh, one newspaper discovered uh, the videos of people that are obese, uh, transgender, or handicapped. And the reason is pretty straightforward because they don't sell. So this is a firm, TikTok which is, by the way, looked at by uh, boys and girls from six, seven years old, that promotes a fuel on society which suppresses diversity because it doesn't sell. So is this the t but this is the ad-driven model, right? Mm -hmm. uh, this is brave new world of Elvis Huxley. We all have to look, all, all have to fit in. So what we need to do is, uh, is break, this bi break this business model. And this you can't just do with a corporate tax system. That, that, that's the point I would make. I would rather say that we need to enshrine uh, responsibility of, of platforms as well. We need not just that they be held liable for products that are faulty, mm -hmm. but also and since these products are really complex, they need to have a, a duty of care and, a and that, that needs to be enshrined. So, so we also need to, how we take their, uh, their response, because these, because what the problem with, uh, with algorithms is, we need transparency on algorithms, but still, because it's relatively complex, we need to make them responsible for what they offer us, so that later on, so that early on or later on, at mm -hmm. one point, we can help them responsible for what they uh, for what they uh, products through the algorithm they offered us. I think you touched upon also some very contentious uh, issues, so the responsibility of platforms, yeah. uh, and, and I've. I'm always a bit torn there because on the one hand, um, I'm kind of a, I feel that a lot of problems come from market power, which for me translates into political power, like quasi yeah. automatically, it's kind of fungible, you know, the one uh, kind of accompanies the other. And what we tend to do at European level, I feel, 
is that actually there's kind of like a cozy relationship between big tech firms and governments. It's And, you know, we see this entire internet, we see a lot of hate speech, we see a lot of things going out of control. Uh, and the first response is, okay, let's hand off responsibility to big platforms to manage that. And I understand the impulse because that's, in, sense, in essence, the only short-term option that we have because we don't control this infrastructure. Uh, they do. But I feel that on the long term, we kind of, in a way, instill more power because now we rely on them to actually enforce and police uh, the law. Uh, and I think, like, the prior problem is the fact that in the first place, our entire, you know, communications infrastructure is privatized. Uh, it's you know, the way we search online, uh, the way we understand the world, the way we communicate... It's indeed, as you say, you know, based on uh, it's kind of structured by monetary incentives, which creates all sorts of problems. So for me, I understand that. And I think this will happen uh, this year. I mean, the commission will look into the Digital Services Act. Yeah. So we'll probably see some type of opening up of the e-commerce directive. So they will touch upon all that. And this is a debate to be had. But I'm not sure for myself what the, what the solution would be. No, but the point is we don't like the idea of content moderation by Facebook, right? That, exactly. That, that, that's what we don't want. On the other hand, already Facebook already does. Because yeah. I'm not sure what my timeline is. I don't have any influence. I don't have any say on that. And I can't choose a different timeline. That's, that's my frustration, by the way. Um, so they're, they're yeah. already editing. They already take on the responsibility. So what I answer is, well, if you take this responsibility, well, uh, well, if you have this uh, responsibility, take this responsibility. That's, that's what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would rather see that if it's a real platform, that you would have different, you can choose between different timelines. That I know I have a choice in the say, okay, you edit my timeline, fine. Mm-hmm. But can I have a, at least say, uh, if you're right-wing populist, you want a different timeline than if you're left-wing social democrat. Could very well be a bit like how we see our newspapers. Mm-hmm. Uh, in fact, they are also very uh, dependent uh, across the political spectrum. So, mm-hmm. um, but it, the one reason, and we can think about making this platform, say, public goods interoperability, goes along that way. That's why I took the example of TikTok, mm-hmm. because there are always new companies. Yeah. And in fact, you see innovation, and we can't just say, okay, we're going to make this public and then rest. So we need to make make sure that, that there is stronger responsibility. They have it anyway. Mm-hmm. So TikTok is relatively new. Social media is changing among the young. If you want to reach out to the young, you probably need YouTube. Uh, you can't use really Snapchat because it's not it's used by the young, but you can't reach out through Snapchat. Maybe TikTok. So you're... All the time, this the, the landscape of social media is changing. Well, how to make sure that, especially among young people, so how to make sure that we know, still know. Yeah. Right. My parents used to say, "Well, don't watch that channel, Paul. That's that's too much for you. you know, you're not allowed to see that on television." Or, uh, or they could see what books I read, so to say. So they had some say parent, uh, parental guidance. Well, for me, that's sort of lost here. I just... Yeah, yeah, no, I mean, the risk is... As a parent, for me, that's sort of... uh, No, I can't... It's almost impossible to follow what they can see on uh, on the internet. No, I mean, that's that's a tricky issue. I mean, the question is always, like, to what extent are we... uh, people saying oh there's young people nowadays uh, what they watch uh, it's, so, uh, so I don't make a plea for content moderation I think yeah. the content is fine but the way they let's say spread the content this is what they do with algorithms but they already do that so which 
why do I get this in my timeline? Well, because it's popular. Or why was it? Why do that? What does the admit uh, the ad driven model? So, but they're already doing that. So let's make them responsible for that anyway. Uh, and especially when small firms come up, who have the same problem. It's not just the large companies. No, it's true. Although I think that you know, especially the bigger firms will probably find it much easier to somehow uh, comply, and and they probably have you know, which we saw a bit with the copyright I, regulation. I, I know, yeah. but but I also hope for that we see a standardization of the use of algorithms because all the, it's not yeah. the innovation is not just in finding new um, uh, algorithms. It's also in the design of algorithms, which is very important. And I think we will also see a a standardization of algorithms in, a, in that sense and also the standardization on how to make it transparent and this is a change we're also uh, going to see yeah no I think that's also a key point I think like uh, I also feel we're kind of running out of time but yeah. uh, transparency is, is a key point yeah. I think like the way algorithms now structure social relations the way they decide you know completely uh, a black box. what we see that's completely opaque uh, this has been on for years and I think that's probably also a key starting point and so we know that the commission will come up very shortly, uh, you know, with their white paper on AI, uh, a data strategy. So for me, that's the crucial point. Like we can't even regulate if we don't know what we're regulating. So the first point would be, okay, let's make this data uh, value chain uh, transparent. Yeah. Let's make the workings of these algorithms transparent. Uh, so it could be audits, depending you know, on the risk, depending on the sector, etc. Yeah. And that would be, I think, uh, the first step. That would be a good step. We need that transparency, and I would say combine it with corporate responsibility and shrine the, the duty of uh, of care. To make, uh, so that would be, uh, I think, a powerful change already in uh, mm-hmm. say, uh, the business model that we see right now. Okay, so for 2020, what I can note down is um, legal rules to mandate transparency for algorithms and uh, some way to kill the ad-driven uh, business models. Yeah, if I had my way, that would be absolutely great. Let's, uh, I, I will yeah. tend to fight for that, of course. Because, uh, okay, let's work towards that uh, the coming year. Uh, Paul, many thanks uh, for being here with us uh, today for the podcast, and we hope uh, we can invite you soon again and then discuss the progress uh, we yes. made. Yes, we should. Okay, All right. thank thanks you very much. Bye. Thank you for your attention. If you found our conversation interesting, do not hesitate to share it on social media with the hashtag FebsTalks. More is yet to come. Stay tuned.